All right. Well, we'll get started. We're in a study. If you've been keeping score and been with us, uh, Revelation, Revelation Light, we call it, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to really glean out the nutrition, glean out the the protein, and not mess around with those wasted carbs and everything like that. And and, and I, I say that you know somewhat tongue in cheek, but it, it's true. Uh, carbs are good when you're talking about cinnamon rolls and burritos and, and everything else. Carbs are great. Big fan of carbs. Me and carbs, we go way back. Um, but too many times when we come into the book of Revelation, people get all kind of messed it up. And we're really going to start seeing that uh, as we go. And so we've been kind of looking at, and it's such a beautiful book, which is, you know, sort of unfortunate. Um, this week, it's week number five, we're going to talk about six seals. And we're going to talk about the first of several interludes. And it's, it's going to make sense here in a second, but very, very important. Because what we're going to do now is we're going to make a transition. If you remember last week, uh, we, you know, just kind of up until now, we've looked at it. We know that John was there on the Isle of Patmos. He was, you know, just kind of in the spirit, turns around, hears his voice, he sees Jesus. And Jesus had some words for the seven churches there kind of around Asia. And not that they were some, you know, not that they were so special relative to anybody else, but proximity-wise, they were pretty close to that island. And, uh, and so then he got caught up in the spirit. And last week we saw how the very first thing that he witnessed is he got to see the throne of Jesus and the throne of God. And he got to behold, he beheld, behold, he beheld whatever, the glory of the throne. And John was given a glimpse. And he was, what he was shown was the fact, you know, because remember when John was here on earth and Jesus was on earth, what John saw was a primarily, you know, sort of a, a human based view of Jesus. That is to say, you know, he saw the mortal side. He saw, you know, the Jesus that was tired, the Jesus that was hungry, the Je- I mean, very strong and everything like that. But he saw Jesus from that perspective. Now, he also saw, you know, love and he saw compassion and he saw the miracles. But what he got the glimpse of last week when he read through it was just how awesome Jesus is. And just, you know, and, and where words just are hard to describe it. But all of creation falls at his feet. You know, and, and first, before we get into any of the other issues, you know, what Jesus wants him to understand is, this is the Lamb. Because if you get all that wrong, then none of the rest of Revelation makes any sense at all. I mean, it's useless if you don't understand who the Lamb is and what the Lamb is all about. This week, we finally, now we're going to really kind of get into things. Remember, we got to the point where, you know, the, you know they had this, the scroll, and the scroll's got seven seals. And they, they were sad because there wasn't anybody worthy. And finally one of the elders said, don't worry about it, John. The Lamb is the only one worthy. Turn in your Bibles now to Revelation chapter 6. Now here's the thing, and here's, it's, here's the statement, and it's true. We get goofy. We act goofy. We act plumb stupid at times. Whenever the language starts to get dramatic. I mean, just the, the more dramatic the language is, the more goofy we get. And if you ever, and if you don't believe me, just watch, you know, a couple of teenagers. Typically it's girls, but boys do it too. If they're just sort of having a regular noun verb conversation, it ain't so bad. But the minute it gets real dramatic, they all just get to acting stupid and goofy and everything like that. Okay, adults do the same thing, and we especially do that when we get to the book of Revelation. The minute 
the language gets dramatic. The minute there's just a lot of adjectives and adverbs and these big, bright pictures and everything like that, and these visual images and these that John provides, we start getting goofy and, oh, okay, all of a sudden that's got to mean helicopters and that's got to mean this and that's got to mean that. And, and no, 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 just look at this story for a second. What if we just had a story? And it just was simply like this. God's people are going to suffer consequences. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be conquered. They're going to feel the worst end of war. They're going to know pestilence and death. They're going to cry out to God, how much longer? Why is this happening? If I go on to say the story, we'll talk about how God will see and hear his children. And have compassion on them. And ultimately God will weigh in and it will be dramatic and everybody will be fearful. If that was the story that I presented, we'd all nod our head and we go, that sounds kind of familiar. I mean, we can go back, you know, all the way back to the Old Testament and, you know, pick up very common themes like that. Where God's people, were, you know, they were going to be told ahead of time, you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. We saw it in the Old Testament. We saw it coming on through the New Testament. You know, second, uh, excuse me, first Peter talked about that. You know, one of the warnings was Peter was there in Rome. He said, you guys need to look out. Things are about to get bad. And so if that's the story, we don't get goofy. We don't get weird. We don't try to interpret, interpolate the Bible saying something that it really doesn't. We don't try to get really way out there and get, we don't get goofy or silly or stupid at all. And so if we can be that responsible on a story that simple, we can be responsible on Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7 tonight. Because that, folks, is the story. Without horses and without you know dramatic language and everything like that, that's kind of the story. It's maybe the boring version of it. And so we'll get to the exciting version, but that's in essence what's happening here. Now, he's going to use horses, and he's going to use martyrs, and he's going to use all kinds of robes and gold and swords and everything like that to get this point across, but this is the story. And so it's a story that we recognize. And what I want you to do is I want you to recognize it as we read. Remember, John's charge was, John, write the things that you see, things that are about to happen soon. Not 2013 soon, but like soon, way back then, soon. All right, let's get going. The seals are about to get opened. Seals one through four, those we're kind of familiar with. You know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've all heard that one. You know, it's such a, you know, yes, there were horses, and there were people on top of the horses, and so I guess there were horsemen. But I, I really kind of, you know, we always use that term, and I, I, it really kind of bugs me a little bit, because it's really not a biblical term, unless, because we think of apocalypse as this big battle, you know, this horrible thing. No, remember, the word apocalypse means to reveal. It's just not as exciting, I guess, if you're going to make a movie to say, ooh, that's the four horsemen of the revealing. It just doesn't scare people, I guess. Um, seal number five, we're going to talk about Christian martyrs. Seal number six, we're going to look at, and we're going to see how God intervenes. All right. 
Every now and then I'll go out and I'll doodle up a little bit of artwork for you. And here's the, here's the thing, just to kind of keep you awake and attention. And for those of you that need pictures and just, you know, somehow can't sit through a class unless there's PowerPoint, I give you pictures uh, just so you understand a couple of things. You know, number one, I won't always have pictures. And number two, the pictures are wrong. Just so you understand that. The pictures are wrong. They're wrong because I'm sure that's not what John saw. It's just how we interpret what we think John might have seen based on what he said. And second of all, the pictures, there, there is no ability to draw any picture that can possibly touch what it must be like to be in the presence of Christ. In any vision, no matter how benign or how simple, There is no artist that has ever walked or will ever walk the face of the earth that can capture it. But I still give you pictures because I know you like pictures in color, too, because I know you you like the bright, shining color. All right, so let's talk about the four horsemen. Uh, It it seals, again, we're in chapter 6. It's, you know, seals 1 through 4. Again, Revelation 6 through, you know, 1 through 8. Each one of them is preceded by four, you know, they're all, it's kind of the same description. Each horse gets two two verses, and prior to each vision, each, you know, horse with the rider, before John sees it, one of the living creatures. Now remember, there were four living creatures around the throne, four of them. Remember, we had an eagle, we had one that looked like a man, one that looked... Like an oxen, remember that? Okay, each one of those, before this happens, before John sees it, each one of them will sort of bellow out, come. And we're not sure why. It's just sort of a way to transition, maybe. And let's don't oversubscribe anything to it. But here we go. Seal number one. The white horse. Chapter 6, verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Just a simple vision. Now remember, you know, keep in mind back then, you know, a, a horse was a prized possession. A horse was a sign of military strength. You know, not everybody they do into pain. In fact, you know, whether you, if you look in the Old Testament, you know, one of the things that was talked about was, you know, horses and chariots is a sign of strength. So here's this horse. It's a white horse. And its rider is on, the, is on it, and the rider has a bow. You know, and there's something special about a bow. bow typically is military, whereas, you know, sword, we'll see that, and that tends to imply strength. But don't get too worked up over it. But he's wearing a crown. He's a ruler of some sort. And he goes out, and what the Bible says is, he is conquering. Depending on your verse or your version, it may have the word victorious or victor. But he is going out, and he, and so what John is seeing is that God's people are about to get conquered. And that's when I go back, this is not a new theme. God's people had been conquered a lot of times, going all the way back to the Old Testament, hadn't they? You know, where the pagan countries around there, when, especially when God would kind of say, you know what, you're not obeying me, and God would just allow it to happen. God's people were constantly being conquered. Whether they were conquered by, you know, all of the, you know, the Jebusites and the Parasites and every, all those other sites from the, from the Old Testament, or whether they were being conquered by the Roman armies and the allies of the Romans, they were being conquered. 
And so that's what John sees. And he sees victory against God's people. All right, let's go on. Verse 3, now we see seal number 2. Again, two verses. Well, let's go back here real quick. I forgot about this one. This, we've got to take a quick time out so no one panics because in Revelation chapter 19, we're going to see a white horse and a rider as well. And this is just important, and again, we'll come back to this when we get to, to 19. This is not the same horse, and it's not the same rider. And what you're going to see as we get ahead into Revelation chapter 19, you know, there's the prominence of the white horse and the one who rides it. And what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 19, that is a very specific reference to Christ. It is unambiguous. It's very, very clear. And you can go down and you can look at the comparisons. You know, in Revelation chapter 6, we see one crown. Chapter 19, we see many crowns. We see a crown of victory. We see a crown of ruling overall. We see a bow. In chapter 6, we see a sword in chapter 19, followed by three horses. In chapter 6 and chapter 19, followed by a heavenly army. See the differences? Not named. He's named in Revelation chapter 19. There's no clothing description in chapter 6. But in chapter 19, we see that it's a robe that's been dipped in blood. So again, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but just understand for those of you, you know, people that like to read ahead and you like to try to act like you're the teacher's pet, and I know how you are, you try to get on my good side, and you're trying to act like you're 13 chapters ahead, it's not the same writer, okay? That, that, please don't let me discourage you from reading 13 chapters ahead, just don't get too smart for the rest of us, we'll all get there at the same time. Okay, seals begin, so here we go, so now we got seal number two. Seal number two is a, what color horse? Red. Let's look at that real quick. There in verse 3. So let's just go to, first, go to uh, verse 4. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take away peace from earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a very large sword. It's a horse. It's a red horse running through there. We don't know a whole lot about the rider. You know, we might, it might look something like that, I guess. I don't know. All we know for sure, the rider has a horse, he's on a horse, he has a sword, and he removes peace. Look at the way the Bible says it. He was given the power to take peace from the earth, not just to take peace, but look at what else it says, to make men slay each other. So God's people were going to be victims of war. There's going to be war, maybe even civil war is probably a, a closer translation when he talks about making men slay each other. You know, that really in the, in the Greek, they're not talking about sort of random people slaying each other and, and sort of this one side versus the next, you know, countries slaying each other, but potentially even civil war, which is really kind of the worst kind. But let's keep going. Okay, seal number four. Excuse me, seal number three. It's a black horse, it says there in verse six. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures... Excuse me, let's go back to verse 5. Come, and I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Again, let's don't get overly subscribed to what the rider might look like, because the Bible really doesn't tell us. But it says, the horse is black, there's a rider on the horse, and isn't it interesting, the rider is carrying scales. Now to you and me, that probably is kind of, seems a little bit antiquated, because we think, well... Because remember, it's, it's the scale, kind of go, you know what I'm talking about? 
balances maybe or whatever you want, little seesaw looking things. Um, and so that's what the writer's carrying. Now, whenever you see that in literature and whenever that comes up, especially in the Bible where they're talking about weighing things, that means that there is a finite resource around food. And so what this writer is talking about is here comes famine. Here comes pestilence. Here comes you know, a, a situation where God's people would be in a situation where they could very precariously provide, if they could even provide for themselves at all. And if you think about it, just kind of logically, okay, so you know, I've got someone conquering, so there's conquering going on, there's war going on. What's one of the natural outcomes of war? It tends to be famine. You know, as the armies come in and they invade and everything like that, they take over. What's one of the first things they take? Well, they take food and supplies. And so as he describes the situation, you know, it's a limited food supply and this famine and everything like that, he goes on to talk about, you know, a a Daenerys and a quart of wheat for a day's wage. What he's basically saying is there's going to be a world coming up where God's people are going to have to work really, really hard, and if they are lucky, they'll be able to eat. Okay, again, you know, we can make this really, really dramatic if we want, but this isn't the first time God's people have known famine. It's not the first time that God's people have known drought or how to do without or anything like that. It's just kind of the way we get to it with horses and everything like that. Finally, we get to seal number four. Seal number four, huh? Makes for a really good Clint Eastwood movie. Pale Rider. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, that's your homework assignment for the rest of you. Really? Raise your hands again if you've seen it. Well, now I got a few liars, don't I? <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> I mean, go out there. I'm sure it's on the 99 cent rental at Redbox. I want, I want you guys to clean Redbox. That was a good movie. I mean, really, I don't know that there were really any bad Clint Eastwood movies. Maybe that Bridges of Madison County thing that he did, which was <laughs> kind of during his creepy phase. But anyways, uh, in terms of real movies, that, that wasn't too bad. And so here comes the pale rider, Ashen in some verses. And he's got the name of death. Hades follows him, the Bible says. And what he does is he's got, he's got the capacity to kill, but look at what he's got. He can't kill everything. One-fourth, the Bible says. Now again, I don't know that the Bible is trying to say very specifically one-fourth of the people you know, got killed. That's not the point here, necessarily. But to give you sort of a rough idea, I mean, you get someone to come in and kill one-fourth of us, that's a lot. One-fourth of a population, that's quite a bit. But the whole purpose here is to understand that he was allowed to do this. Death was allowed to come this way. In fact, it goes on to describe it. This isn't just sort of normal death. This is death, look at this, through sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. This is serious, dramatic death going on here. This is not some, you know, sort of drifting on into the afterlife kind of death. This is not peaceful death. This is not natural death at the end of old age. This is some pretty gory stuff. But, limited. Limited in the same way that God spoke to Satan and Satan, you can do this and this and this. Don't you touch Job. Limited in the same way that God said you can do this and this and this, but you cannot kill Job. 
God has the ability to allow, and, and I, I'm not going to pretend to act like I know why he would allow or, or the circumstances that lead up to it, but I rejoice in the fact that when God says no more, he means no more. Because remember, what was one of the comments that Jesus said when he said, I'm here? He talked about having power over what? Death and Hades, didn't he? So there's nothing coming on the back of this pale horse that Jesus can't take care of. And that pale horse may kill 25%, but come time to deal with it, Jesus has got this taken care of. Okay, and I tell you this, so as we kind of go through this, I know some of y'all are hearing me click. There we go. Focus on the story. Again, understand what John is seeing a glimpse of is all of these things that are now about to befall Christians. John isn't looking at helicopters. You know, too many times people want to read this and they just want to, they want to give it more meaning than is really there. More meaning than was ever really intended. Ooh, I wonder who the writer is. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really talk about it. The Bible gives no description of the writer other than had a sword, had a crown, had a bow, carried some scales. We don't know if that person was like this really big you know, person on the back of a horse or about the size of a typical jockey. We have no earthly idea. And, but people want to sort of give to this more meaning. Oh, I think that's so-and-so, and, so, and I, I think that's, the whole, that's a member of this parliament and everything like that. Or that's, you know, this czar that killed this many people, and that's... No. Remember, he's writing about things that are about to take place. And what he's seeing in general is that God's people are now about to get overrun by a ruler with his army. And there's going to be death. And there's going to be famine. All right, so just stop doing things like that. Don't be goofy. Okay, seal number five, verses 9 through 11. He says, when he opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Here we go. And as he opens up this, as he breaks this seal, now what John sees are Christian martyrs. And notice what it says about them. Souls that had been slain. Okay, he's not talking here about generically people that had been, you know, that are just sort of on bad, you know, bad times or things are just not going great or anything like that. He's not talking about the same situation that, you know, when God spoke to Moses and says, I have heard the voices, I've heard the cries of my people, you know, where it's sort of an active, they're still on earth and he's, he's heard them. What he says is, I'm, what I'm seeing now are those that have been slain, and look at this, because of the word of God and to me, this is absolutely beautiful for the testimony they maintained. Wow. What a wonderful thing. I mean, I, 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 we could just stay right here just on that and just how beautiful it would be if we could be described, whether we are slain, whether we are alive, or somewhere in between, for the testimony that they maintained. What John saw were the people that had been killed because no matter what rocked them, no matter what stabbed them, no matter what shot at them, no matter what hit them, whipped them, or anything like that, 
they held their testimony. And at some point in that entire process, and Christians were killed for sport, they were killed for fun, they were killed on a whim and everything like that, what John says is, I got to see this glimpse of those that had been slain. Now understand when John sees, I, I, I'd love to know what John's emotion was. We saw that John got sad earlier in some of his visions. I imagine John's kind of pepped up right now. Because whenever we think of those that are being slain and those that are being tormented, we tend to think, you know, some sort of decrepit view or anything like that. But notice what happens here. And, and they're crying at, look what their concern is. It's not a generic concern. What they're doing, they're crying out for those that are still alive. How long will you allow it? How long before you bring your judgment? How long, sovereign Lord, how holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? How long, Jesus? That's all they're asking. Because they're concerned about those that are still on earth. Because they're dead. God's got them taken care of. In fact, what happens then is they, to each one of them, not only does, does John see that, I mean, they're in the fold of God, but not only that, but look what happens. They're given a white robe. You know, the sign of peace. A little royalty. You give somebody a robe back then, especially a white robe, that meant you are my guest and I'm going to take care of you. They got a white robe. And what were they told? Just wait just a little while longer. They were adorned in white robes at the, and at the right time, Jesus says, I'm going to take care of it. I remember, I've got this, he says. But this is given to us so that we see that God recognizes those that suffer. All right, now we're moving up to, to seal number six. Remember that passage in Hebrews, it is a terrifying thing. Not just kind of scary, not just spooky. It is a terrifying thing, the Bible says, to fall into the hands of the living God. In seal number six, God, Jesus intervenes. The lamb is going to get in the middle of this. And notice what happens. In verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun appeared to be black. The moon appeared to be bloody. The sky seemed to split. Mountains seemed to move. Now notice the Bible doesn't talk about exactly what is going on or anything like that. The Bible's just simply talking about, here comes the Lamb. And when the Lamb gets involved, it is not a subtle process. You know, there are so, there are so many passages in the Bible, and we can even look in our own lives, where God has worked in our lives in very subtle, almost unassuming ways. Whoops, how do we do that? And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we see his hand, it was powerful, but it was subtle. And then there were times that he got on the mountain and he spoke to Moses and it rumbled. There were times that as we looked at the life of Jesus, where Jesus spoke quietly, softly, with compassion. And there were times that he raised his voice, and my guess is the apostles' hearts kind of skipped a beat just a little bit. This is not one of the subtle times. 
When Jesus comes and when the lamb is going to get engaged at the right time, it is not going to be a subtle process. And if you look and if you remember, and if you really want to sort of hearken back and get some sense of, of what's probably going on, remember when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the, what happened to the son? Blocked out, wasn't it? What happened to the temple? Curtain split in two. What did the guard say? Surely this was the Son of God. Very, very similar thing going on here. It's going to feel like an, it's going to be like an earthquake, whether it was an actual earthquake. That's not the important thing here. People want to talk about, well, I bet that was the earthquake of 1772 or, or whatever. But it was, the sun appeared as if it were black. That means things got so serious, it's like the, the light wasn't even on. The moon was as if it was bloody. The sky just seemed just to split. And it just seemed like mountains were moving. That's what John saw. And it goes on, you know, toward the end of that passage, toward the end of it, of the chapter, where he goes on to talk about how, you know, what they did was, you know, so you've got the princes and the kings and the generals, the rich, the mighty, everybody, the Bible says, is begging for the rocks to fall on them and knock them out of their misery. Because they would much rather have a landslide than have to contend with Christ. Wow. In fact, they go on to say, fall on us. Let us hide from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. Remember those times? Am I the only one? And I probably am because you guys were little goody-goodies as kids. You know, every now and then I'd get in trouble at school. And, yeah, there were a few times. I got in a lot in trouble at school. Who am I kidding? But, you know, it wasn't real frequent. But when it was, it was. And all I can remember thinking is I don't care what happens at school. I will do whatever detention. I will take whatever. You know, that's back when they paddled in school. Those were good days. Anyways, I'll take whatever happens. Please don't let my dad find out. You remember those, don't you? Where it's like, I would have dealt with anything. SWAT team, TSA, you know, just commandos come in, throw me down, frisk me, whatever you want, anything like that. Please don't make me have to deal with Dad. And when Dad was overseas, because he was in the Air Force, please don't let me have to deal with Mom. Mom didn't have Dad's strength, but she also didn't have his restraint either. <laughs> but anyways, you know, so that's what they're begging for here. They would much rather the landslide and rocks and an avalanche kill them. Folks, I've never been, I've been hit in the head with a stone, one stone. I don't know what it's like to die from an avalanche. It seems so horrible. But for them to wish that on themselves rather than, as they put it, deal with the wrath of the Lamb. The one who sits on the throne. And again, this goes back to remember what Paul said. You know, on that day, what he, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess. 
And that's one of the things that we've got to understand as we read the book of Revelation, as we look at our own lives, there will come a time. It may not happen as quick as we would like. It may not happen the way that we would like. It may not have the timing that we would like or anything like that. But there will come a time when all of those people that we envy and that we deal with and that causes strife and grief and we don't understand why they get to do what they do and everything like that, there will come a day when they will fear the one who sits on the throne. Everybody will. But for the grace of God and the blood of the one who sits on the throne, we get to have faith, courage, hope, and confidence. That's the only difference. But they're begging for it. In fact, they close with a simple question, who is able to stand? That's seal number six. All right, then we jump over to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is an interlude, if you will. It's not part, it's not sort of part of chapter, it's not part of the sixth seal or anything like that. Again, so we've got through the six seals, we haven't gotten to the seventh yet. But now John is going to be shown something. If there is ever a book, a chapter, that you want to read when you're down, it's Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 shows the power of God. Remember we talked about the precision of his eyesight, the precision of the way that he deals with his people. Chapter 7 is absolutely phenomenal. Because it's an interlude. And what's basically happening here is God's people are going to be sealed. Not saran wrap sealed. Not Tupperware sealed. But the process that he's going to go through is he's going to make sure that John sees very, very clearly so that John can communicate. Because a lot of wild stuff's about to happen. There's a lot of dramatic things that are going to go on. There's going to be war. There's going to be death. There's going to be famine. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be all kinds of killing. It's going to be horrible. And now what's going to happen here is John's going to get this glimpse of all the while this horrible stuff is going on. God has sealed his people. Because one of the things, and maybe it's just me, you know, when life gets really sort of just, you know what I mean, and it's exactly how it sounds. It's either, or it's, it's one of those two. It's never anything in between. And you know what I'm talking about. Between death and sickness, disease and unemployment and everything like that, when heartache and heartbreak and just all kinds of horrible things fall on top of you. You've either been there, you are there, or you're going to be there. That's just the way it works. One of the things that we struggle with the most is, does God see me? Remember last week, we talked about how God, you know, remember the, the, in, the, the smell, the incense of the prayers of the saints? You know, there in the bowl, remember that? How God saw and God smelled and God was aware of the prayers of his saints? That's exactly what's going on here, that no matter how bad things get, no matter how rough life is, and again, they're about to see some horrible things, behind the scenes, what John is being given a glimpse of is God is sealing his people. Turn over there in verse, you know, and, and here's the problem is, you know, people want to look at chapter 7, and they want to get hung up on this number 144,000. I mean, there is even a religious group out there, bless their little hearts, that believe that 144,000 is a literal number. 
Wow. Anyways, but I guarantee you they didn't have cinnamon rolls tonight, but then, and that's really got nothing to do with it. But what you do is when you strip back and you understand, you know, this idea of 12,000, 12,000 is a very, very perfect number. It is a number of totality. And you go 12,000 from each of the, all the 12 tribes, that's how you get to 144,000, okay? It's kind of like basically saying everybody that is a child of God. There is no tribe, there is no nation, there is nobody that's left. But look at this mental image. Look at this visual that we get. And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. I get five more minutes. Now we know the earth is round. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, the four corners of the earth, as if to say we've got kind of the earth, we've got it kind of boxed in here. Now look at this image. They're holding back the four winds of the earth. Not to prevent some wind, not to prevent a little wind, not to prevent most of the wind, the Bible says, but to prevent any wind from blowing on the land of the sea or on any tree. Now just stop and, and just understand the mental image here. This is not about wind, okay? But instead, John is given a glimpse of wind so that he can understand the lengths to which and the power to which God is going to make sure that his angels hold back everything bad until we make sure that we've got God's people sealed. You, you know, have you ever tried to use a cell phone outdoors on a, kind of a blustery Kansas day? And you kind of do that, well, you try to put like this, and you try to bend down, and you kind of talk out your armpit, and then you go around a tree and everything like that. And finally, you know, they, I can't hear you, can't hear you, can't hear you. And finally you just say, oh, forget it, I'll just call you later. You know those times? You ever been annoyed? Am I the only one that gets annoyed and you just want to scream? Would you please get inside and call me? You know, just please. Is there not a door somewhere that you could walk into or something like that? You know, or they somehow, I'm trying to, someone did it to me the other day. Thought he was doing me a favor by stepping out of an Applebee's where the music was playing loud and out into the wind. It's like, oh, well, thank you. You know, it just, you know, whoa, that was so kind of you. But anyways, um, might have been one of you, so I should be careful. But anyways, no wind. And that's just, again, a visual image of saying that what's happening here is what they want to make sure of. And he says, and then I saw, so there's no wind blowing. And I saw an angel come up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels. He says, do not harm the land, the sea, or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. What he's saying is, you hold back the wind until we get every child of God sealed. You hold back every gust, every breeze, anything that resembles wind until we go and we seal and we identify every child of God. And that's, again, a wonderful visual that John gets to see of the links to which God is going to make sure that he sees and he knows every one of his people. No matter how significant you might think you are, no matter insignificant, no matter how little, small, or unworthy of any sight of God, man, or anybody else, God sees you. And that's the image that John is, is getting here. Is John, some really wicked stuff is about to happen, and you make sure my people understand. I have sealed every single one of them. 
So when it comes time to look at the altar and underneath the altar of all those that have been slain, every one of them's there. When it comes time to redeem, look, hey, just looked ahead. But uh, when it comes time to redeem, when it comes time to amass and account for and everything, I've got them all. And remember, this is you know, back to the story. 99 sheep, 99 coins. Remember that? That's, and Jesus was trying to tell them, hey, look, even one soul, kind of wandering away, that, that's, that's unacceptable to God. Now John sees that not only is it unacceptable, but we are going to hold back and we are going to make sure we don't go forward. And what a beautiful interlude. And then he goes on. Talks about, you know, all the, you know, the 12,000 from each tribe. In verse 9, he says, I looked and there before me was this great multitude. Okay, so he sees this. Remember, this stuff's kind of flowing here for John. No one could count them, he says. Every nation, every tribe, people, language, standing before the throne of God, wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, Crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And we're going to stop there. But just understand now, as John sees the lengths to which God is going to make sure that his people are sealed, now he begins to see. All of a sudden, there's just a bunch of people. He doesn't know where they came from. But every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. Standing in a white robe, the multitude, those that are redeemed, crying out and singing out to God. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, dear God, it will be absolutely awesome. Father, when we are in your presence, Father, we're getting just a very slight glimpse. And God, may that glimpse resonate in our heart. Father, that we may be moved and inspired to a greater service. God, we pray that we can hold fast, that we can remain unmoved. Father, for oftentimes we go through tough things. God, we pray that you give us confidence. God, give us inspiration to know that no matter how small we think we are, no matter how insignificant we're convinced we are, you see us. You see our tears, you feel our hurt, and that you have sealed us. God, we look forward to that great and glorious day. Until then, God, we pray for your help, your wisdom, and your continued grace and patience with us. Through Christ we pray. Amen.